BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. Thanks for downloading our number one. Now, let me tell you about our number two. What a show! Big Eddie Maher from uh, Operating Engineers Local 150 on the subject of how to organize Google workers uh, and that labor force. And then everybody's favorite Trump supporter, Alderman Nick Spazzato from the 38th Ward, comes in dueling with me on Trump, talking Lori's budget, talking Eddie Gate. I know a lot of you out there are not big on Trump, but I've known Nick Spazzato a long time. I'm not throwing him under the bus just because we disagree on Donald John Trump. So we had Nick Spazzato on, and it was very interesting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get Nick Spazzato to vote uh, Democrat before it's all said and done. Anyway, hour number two of today's Ben Jarofsky show. Go download it, people. Your Ben Jarofsky show <laughs> for Thursday, December 5th. <laughs> It's just moments away. But before we get into that, we'd like to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace, not Aerosmith Workers, Local 126 and District 8. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9. The International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Ben just uh, went to his backpack to get sunglasses. Not sure why you need those. Well, just stick around. <laughs> and, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good <laughs> friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Why are you pointing at me? <laughs> Song of the day. Oh, dude. Denise, Denise, I'm still in love with you. I'm still trying to figure out what I wrote. I can't read my writing. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. <laughs> It is Thursday, December 5th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times writer Miles Kampflassen will join us. Union man Ed Maher is back and making his return. It's the 38th Ward Alderman himself, Nick Spazzato. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Bernie is Right and You Know It Thursday. And here's why. Boy, I had a moment there of doubt. Was it Thursday? Was it Wednesday? <laughs> I'm starting to lose track of time. And I'll tell you why, folks. I was up at an ungodly, awfully early hour this morning. Now, I know what you're thinking, D. You're like, oh, yeah, you're just going to say you got up at 9.15. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I get up at 7 a.m. Oh yes. Oh, my God. That's who, rooster crowing time, okay? Who is this man sitting next to me? <laughs> that's I, I thought I was back home in Alton, and I'm not even from Alton, but that's what time people get up in Alton, right? Go to work and chop wood and stuff. Oh, that's my dad. Yeah. I, well, your dad gets up like at 4 in the morning. But back home in Alton, I'd be up at 7. Wait, do you sit in your, in your underwear and smoke <laughs> cigarettes, too, at 4 in the morning? My dad does that. Do you do that? No. Oh. 
I've been known that sometimes I'm up sitting in my underwear, but the cigarette part never happens. All right, so everybody out there go, why'd you get up so early, man? Why'd you get up at seven? Well, good question. That's an excellent question. I will now answer that question because I had to go to the dentist. That's correct. Oh, thank you, Robert Mueller. I had to go to the dentist. And because I do this show, usually in the old days, I would go to the dentist in the middle of the day, you know, in a civilized hour, right? But uh, I'm doing the show, so I got to go in the morning, all right, D? Because, you know, we're here pretty late. People don't know that, doing all those bonuses. We're here pretty late. Uh, and so, you know, I now I do these morning dentist drop-offs and, oh, God. So there I am, 8 in the morning. And the only way I can get through the dentist 8 in the morning, I don't know about you guys, but I can't stand it. They put that light in your eye, so I always put on my shades. And that's why I got the shades out, D. <laughs> you seriously put on sunglasses I put on dentist. sunglasses. And I always ask, the, you know, the hygienist, hey, it's okay if I put my shades on? She goes, yeah, whatever. I put my shades on. Like, okay. Then I kind of feel cool sitting there, you know? I'm not... A <laughs> Although it must look pretty weird. But you know what? The hygienist told me that I'm not the only person who does that. When that light's in your eye, you know, that bright light that's right in your yeah, eye. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I put the shades on. And what else do I do? I ask the hygienist to put the TV on. It's the only chance I get to watch sports. Oh, my God. And as everybody knows. So needy. I'm addicted. I know. <laughs> okay, put the shades on. And everybody knows I'm addicted to sports. And, and everybody also, also knows. Everybody knows that Dennis won't allow me to talk about sports. You're welcome, uh, by and, the way, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so this morning I got just tons of sports. It was about an hour in the chair with the shades on while the hygienist cleaned out my teeth. And all that stuff that she does with the machines and stuff like that. I'm watching Mike Greenberg. Greeny, all right? And I'm really enjoying, you know, Stephen A. Smith. Love that guy. Maybe the only one in America who loves Stephen A. Anyway, anyway. That's not what I'm really want to get at. It's just the introduction. Good. good. So uh, it, at about nine fifteen or so, uh, the dentist wanders in, and sh she should have been there fifteen minutes earlier, but she was late. She said um, she was very apologetic. She was very nice about it. She must love Greeny too. <laughs> she was caught up watching Greeny. She's actually a huge sports fan. Mm. My dentist, yeah, she knows a lot about sports. She's really down on the Bears right now. Says the Bears suck, and I agree with her hundred percent. Anyway, that's not the point. All right, D, focus, D. So, um, so she says, uh, I'm really late because we're having the end of the year rush. I go, well, what is it about the end of the year rush that makes it a rush? Why are people rushing into the dentist in December? Good question, D, glad you asked it. And she says it has to do to a large degree with deductibles. So now we're heading into insurance comp country. You know, I love talking health insurance. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Medicare for all, Bernie's plan. So I'm going, well, what does deductibles have to do with the end of the year? And so she explained it, and she explained it uh, in, in, really fast. And I had to, like, ask her twice because this was early in the morning, and I hadn't had my coffee, but basically, essentially, it works like this. Let's say you want a tooth cap. You're tooth capped, all right? And so that costs $1,000, and the deductible is $200, and the copay is half, 50-50. You split, the, uh, you split the, the remainder down the middle. So if your deductible is 200 and the copay on the 800 uh, is 400 what do you pay total? And I'm there I am at 9 in the morning doing the math without coffee. I go, $600. She goes, look at the brain on Ben. She didn't really say that, but if she were me, she would have said that. Now, let's say you need a second cap, okay? okay. You've already paid that deductible. All right, it's $1,000. So you split it down the middle. It's 500 to the insurance company and 500 to you. If you get that tooth done in December, you save $100 that if you let it go to the next year where you have another deductible. And I'm like, whoa. 
you mean to tell me that if I go to the dentist in December, I save $100 as opposed to going to the dentist in January? And she said, yes. I go, man, what a scam this health insurance <laughs> thing is. What freaking difference should it make between December and January? If you need the service, you should just pay for the service. But no, uh-uh. If you know the system and you know enough about how the deductibles work, you realize you save $100 if you go in December as opposed to January. And apparently, there's a lot of people in the city of Chicago who know the system. Now, I know Dr. D and I don't know the system, and so we would have been... Correct. Uh, thank you. We would have been the dummies who subsidized this sophisticated crowd that understands the system because we wouldn't have known D. We would have ended up using our deductible for something we could have gotten a month or oh, week yeah, before. Oh, yeah, my deductible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it reminds me what the great Milo once said. Uh, my dear friend Milo Samarja, a great writer, very funny man. He said, Ben... Every system has a system. And if you know the system, you're going to win the game. And in that case, in this case, that means you save $100 and pass it on to the suckers who don't know how to play the game. Bernie is right, everybody, and you know it. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflassen will be in the studio. Speaking of people who think Bernie is right, uh, Miles Ace, reporter for In These Times. Oh, we're going to be talking impeachment. with. I'm going to ask him uh, the John Turley question. Law professor, distinguished law professor Jonathan Turley yesterday was saying the Democrats should delay uh, the proceedings to uh, get more evidence on Donald John Trump. I, I, I agree with Turley. How about that, D? I agree with the, Republic, the, the law professor the Republicans put up. So we'll see what Miles has to say about that. Also do a little presidential uh, discussion. Our, uh, I don't know if you saw this, D. Uh, the man making a name for himself in the news these days in the presidential beat is good friend of the show, uh, Henry Davis. Have you been seeing this? Mm -hmm. Henry Davis, uh, the uh, councilman from South Bend, uh, Indiana, has been on the show several times. Uh, very critical of Pete Buttigieg. He was on Fox TV. He was. On, he sent me uh, a clip from uh, YouTube. I don't know what uh, TV show it was on. So anyway, I uh, put Buttigieg on um, in my mind with Kamala Harris out of the race. Looks like Buttigieg is definitely the moderate favorite, the young moderate favorite. As compared, You're feeling to, him right? No. Oh, okay, uh, okay. I have to tell you, folks, and I know I'm, oh, God, I'm going to alienate a lot of my listeners out there. <sighs> I should really hesitate before I say this, but I just think Pete Buttigieg is a phony. There, I said it, D. I said it, okay? All right? I just, I don't get it, man. I, I, I just think he makes it up as he goes along, and he's a slick talker, all right? I'll tell you what Pete Buttigieg is, D. He's the kind of guy who knows how the healthcare system works so that if he goes in December, he's going to save $100 as opposed to going in January and to pass it on to you and say, oh, I love my health insurance. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> All of those words you said. Uh, so anyway, uh, we'll see what... I know Miles has some interesting things to say about Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg doesn't believe in, in like free college. It's like, how can you be a Democrat and be against the concept, like the concept of public education? You know, he's like, well, public education, uh, you know, we shouldn't have pay for the public education of wealthy people. Well, what, is, what are public schools? What's a library? What's he, what, should we start charging rich people at the door to a library? I mean, the whole notion of a universal, a, a, a universal what, good, is that it's universally good. And if you started putting like a means test on it, 
then people, the, the well-to-do will back away from it. They wouldn't support it anymore. I mean, there's, I thought there's like a common good in this country. Anyway, let's uh, see what Miles has to say about that. Ed Maher will be in the studio. Union man, Ed Maher. I'll be talking about... Eddie, uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie. <laughs> I, I, we'll be talking about Google's efforts to uh, destroy the union, uh, any union effort at Google. I guess the big tech companies don't want to ha- recognize unions in this country. Very strange attitude toward unions. Uh, and uh, I'm going to get Ed's thoughts on impeachment as well. And then, of course, the man, the myth, the legend will be here, Nick Spazzato. Now everybody's going, Nick Spazzato, he's really conservative, Ben. Why would you have him on your show? Hey, I've known Nick for a long time. All right. I knew him when he was kind of sort of, well, he was, I wouldn't say he was liberal, but uh, he was definitely a progressive on labor issues. And uh, he's, uh, he voted for Trump in 2016. So when I say, Nick, what are we going to, what's it going to take to get you to vote uh, against Donald John Trump in 2020? See what Nick has to say. Also talk about local issues with Nick budget issues, policing issues, et cetera, and so forth. A lot to talk about with the great Nick Spazzato of the 38th Ward. So, great show ahead of us, plenty of political talk. But before we do any of it, the young man who was up in early today, as he is every day because he's from downstate Alton, and they get up when that rooster crows, the doctor (laughs) with the news. How's it going, everybody? My name's Dennis. (laughs) We begin with what's happening uh, in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Wait, nope. time out. What? I realize now I have absolutely no idea what the news is. I know. <laughs> I know. Because I was at the dentist. We didn't do any pre-show prep. Oh, by the way, I noticed you got a little uh, tooth dust on your sunglasses. You're going to brush <laughs> oh, it off. Oh, sorry, man. Oh, and also excellent math skills there at the beginning of the show. Did, did you go to the Daniel Biss Math Academy? <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something. Thank you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate the compliment. I was not known as a mathematical scholar back at, uh, in my great days at, as a scholar at Evanston High School. Uh, but I was able to follow my dentist. By the way, good news. I know I'm interrupting you. but Yes, I, you are. But go ahead. I got a new planner, everybody. Oh, there we go. Good there we go. Many fronts. Go ahead with the news, young man. The planner gets top billing over. <laughs> Whatever's <Dennis>. next. <laughs> Yeah. No public event scheduled for our Illinois governor this afternoon, but people, don't be fooled. J.B. Pritzker <laughs> is making moves. After years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back. Governor Pritzker recently <laughs> signed two bills into law. One, two. Okay, that those Dan Biss <laughs> classes are paying off. First, he signed Senate Bill 1639. Mm-hmm. It's a bill that will put more heat on elected officials who also want side jobs as oh, lobbyists yeah. and at least attempt to end all this damn dirty Illinois corruption. Mm-hmm. The bill requires lawmakers to give more details about their economic interests, more lobbyist disclosure requirements, including whether they are also elected and creation of a publicly accessible and searchable database detailing lobbyist disclosures, contributions, and statements of economic interest. Thanks, Ed Burke, and Louis Arroyo, <laughs> and Martin Sandoval. Ben, am I forgetting any uh, other greasy Illinois politicians that have been busted? Uh, no, those are the big ones. Of, of recently. Mm. Okay, you go back in time. Tom Keene, I just add his name to the list. Thank you, Tom Keene. Tom Keene, man, that guy, he, he wrote the book on double dipping and corruption and sneaking stuff around and, you know, feeding yourself, feeding from the trough illegally. Tom Keene, a legendary alderman. Pritzker then gave an obvious statement after signing the bill. Quote, the people of Illinois deserve a state government they can trust. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I got mixed feelings about this, D. Okay. All right. I'm just, as I said, there was no pre-show prep. Okay. 
No show prep. Quit. You don't uh, have to admit that to everybody. So the, I'm hearing this for the first time. Okay, this is my reaction. I'm just going to say this. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm probably going to get everyone mad at me again. Oh, all right. Jesus. I just got all the Pete Buttigieg fans. They're all outraged. Yeah, all okay? three of them. And he's such a phony, ladies and gentlemen. And you know, it's all, I'm going to write about this. It's it's older people that go for him. Have you never ever noticed that, D? Oh, he's such a nice young man. Like, no, I don't know any millennials who like. I, well, maybe it's just the millennials I hang with. I, it just seems like every millennial I know loves Bernie, all right, or Elizabeth Warren, one or the other. But they, I don't know any millennial that likes Pete Buttigieg, and he's a millennial. But it's like the older people. It's like, oh, Pete Buttigieg is the kind of guy that'll open a door for me when I go to the store, you know? So they like him. I'll vote for president for the guy. Anyway, where was I? Oh, going back to Pritzker. Now, just follow me on this, folks. Now, J.B. Pritzker, I believe in the spirit of what he's saying. I absolutely, positively believe uh, that we should end the system here have in Illinois where elected officials also get to be lobbyists, all right? Or elected officials also get to have property tax appeal businesses where they make appeals to uh, some of the other public officials who may owe their job to the property tax lawyer who is appealing to them. So I understand that. I understand that. But think about it this way, D. J.P. Pritzker is a billionaire. That's billion with a B, okay? So it's kind of easy for him to say somebody else should give up his access to making a living, right? Uh, <laughs> as opposed to just like, I don't know, an ordinary state rep who's a lawyer and wants to make a, some money on the side. What does the state rep make? 60 grand, something like that. Now, 60 grand is big money to you and me, okay? <laughs> it's big time change. But, you know, to these characters, it's chicken feed. So I could see why a state rep might be really irritated uh, at uh, J.B. Pritzker, a billionaire uh, who's uh, – you know, push, pushing laws and that would impinge on their ability to make more money. So I could see that. But overall, I have to say, yeah, it's time. this system has been abused so much in the state of Illinois, in the city of Chicago, and in the country, for that matter. Uh, I mean, just watch President Donald John Trump getting people to stay at his hotels, uh, foreign leaders and dignitaries. So, yes, I guess I have to say... I support it, but I, I'll tell you what, I, I could just hear the mumbling and grumbling off the record. Folks, you should know this. After our show, the, there's the conversation after the conversation in many cases when the mics are off. Oh, yeah. And uh, poor Dennis is trying to put the sh produce the show, get it together. I'm talking more politics with some <laughs> guests. Could you imagine the state reps mumbling off their own? Oh, this mother beep. You know? <laughs> but when they're on the air, I love him. Uh, Anyway, so I could see why somebody would uh, be, you know, we rub them the wrong way. You know what I'm saying, D? Yes, that's billion with a B. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right, and one question here, Ben, before we move on. If this bill were uh, in place, say, during Governor Pritzker's campaign, would it have had any effect on Pritzker? Uh, no, because, like I said, J.B. Pritzker, I'm trying to think of, to answer this question. J.B. Pritzker made billions of dollars. Well, he inherited it. He did it the old-fashioned way and inherited it. But I don't know. Uh, now I'm thinking about it. I'm sitting here. Uh, J.B. Pritzker and his brother had an interest. Remember in that uh, there was a, a boating outfit that did tours in the Chicago River? Oh, he loves boats. Yeah. <laughs> so it may have impacted that. I don't know. There's an example absolute example of like a potential conflict of interest 
uh, J.B. Pritzker, when he was running for office, it was it came. I think it was in the Tribune. Maybe it was in the Sun Times. I can't remember anymore. Uh, it was probably the Sun Times because there was a union effort. Remember that day? We saw the union organizers mm-hmm. at the Labor Day parade, the same Labor Day parade where you and Lori Lightfoot were exchanging high fives. And oh yeah, to, we played uh, hacky sack. We had a fantastic time. Yeah, and uh, 2018, I want to say Labor Day, uh, and so the Pritzker family owned this. Uh, this boat boating operation that did tours up and down the Chicago River, and there was a union organizing effort uh, by the people who op- who ran the boats, uh, which I support 100. percent And uh, so the, the Tribune, I think it was the Tribune, did the the deep dive and talked about how they had a contract with the city of Chicago to operate this. So I don't know. That's a potential conflict of interest right there. So, you know, but how, how much do you take this? Are you going to say anybody who has a government contract shouldn't run for office? Well, that limits the number of people you could potentially run for office. Do you say any lawyer whose law works at a law firm that does TIF deals shouldn't run for office? Well, a lot of legislators would be bounced out there. So slippery slope there dean have to think about it we could bring in some of those law professors who testified in congress yesterday get turley in here see what he has to say all right more corruption talk in moments i know you listeners love it but first pritzker was in cabrini green wednesday to sign bill number two number two this bill is about recreational cannabis or as our host calls it and routinely gets made fun of for it <laughs> reefer <laughs> We're now 27 days away from recreational marijuana becoming legal in the state of Illinois. And while it sounds awesome on paper, there's still a few things that need ironed out. Bill number two is a trailer bill addressing technical issues related to the state cannabis legalization law that he signed back in June. Now, I'm from downstate Illinois, so to me, a trailer bill sounds like the receipt one of my relatives got after they bought their home. So, Ben, coach us up here. What exactly is a trailer bill? Yes, we've had this discussion before in the show, and it, it is confusing. Uh, they pass the bill, and they, they get all they celebrate, pat themselves on the back for passing the bill. The state reps, the the state senators, and the governor, and they sign it, and then all of a sudden, uh oh, whoops, we didn't see this coming. There's a mistake in the bill, or there's a the bill creates problems that they didn't see. So the trailer bill is the bill that comes along and essentially amends the original bill to clean up the problems that they didn't foresee. Uh, they call it the trailer bill because it trails the original bill. Ah, and uh, we were just we had young uh, Thomas Tommy Shuba in the studio about two weeks ago, Chicago Sun Times a reporter who covers the reefer beat, uh, and does a great job. A great story in today's bright one from young Thomas Shuba, absolutely uh, about marijuana. And uh, this is one aspect of a trailer bill problem. Like so, here we are. Reefer will be legal January first, right? Mm-hmm. But according to uh, what what Tom Schuba wrote in today's bright one, you still could get ticketed if you're smoking a joint on your porch, outside as opposed to inside the house. So I'm like, why? What? That, I can't even get the like, words I out. I see like cops with binoculars. Yeah. Hey, hey, get that joint <laughs> out of your mouth. <laughs> so you're gonna come on a guy's porch <laughs> and bust him, or if you're in your backyard. Confession time. Wait, is that a doobie? Confession time, D. I got a confession time. There have been people in my backyard who have smoked marijuana. Oh, dude, your front yard. Me. (laughs) The front porch. Yeah, that was one of those. I don't understand. Where's my my libertarian friends? Why should the police have... be able to punish you for smoking a joint in your... They can't punish you for smoking a cigarette in your front porch, for drinking a beer in your front porch. Ah, This... 
either going to have the law legalizing reefer or you're not going to have the law legalizing reefer. So that would be something that could be corrected in a trailer bill. Well, if there's ever a law you can't drink beer on your porch, my dad will come <laughs> right down to Springfield. All what, right? what about a law that says you can't smoke cigarettes in your underwear? Oh. You must be fully clothed oh. to smoke a cigarette. My dad, will, he'll be in Missouri. He'll move. I got to tell you, prohibiting people from smoking reefer on their front porch is about as illogical as prohibiting someone from smoking cigarettes in his underwear. That's my <laughs> humble opinion, folks. Let's bring Jonathan Turley in here to discuss it. I'm a constitutional law expert. I will discuss this. Anyway. So we now know what a trailer bill is, everybody. Now with legal pot comes legal pot licenses. One to grow and one to sell recreational cannabis. Mm -hmm. We want the industry to be diverse, Pritzker said after signing the trailer bill. We want people who have been left out and left behind to have a real opportunity to not only benefit from this new industry, but to create new millionaires in the black community and the Latino community all across the state. Now, here's where the problem arises. And shout out to Sun-Times reefer writer Tommy Shuba for the numbers on this. So far, 14 of Illinois' 21 current cultivation centers have earned licenses to grow recreational weed, and 30 of the state's 55 existing Illinois dispensaries have been awarded, and I'm doing air quotes here, <laughs> awarded licenses to yeah. sell both medical and recreational pot. Why only 14 and 30? Why the air quotes? Well, because to earn these licenses, existing operators have to pay a ton of money yeah. in application fees. And so far, the only ones who have obtained either of these licenses just so happen to have a gajillion dollars laying around. And here we are back at square one. Black and Latino communities are left out of the process, and rich white people are the only ones getting licenses. Isn't that a shocker? <laughs> what did I started the show by saying every system has a system, and if you know how to play the system, you're going to get ahead. Yeah, this is. It, wait, is there more? You're going to read more? Members in the city council and the city uh, council black caucus. Well, they weren't born yesterday. They're currently pushing back on the start of recreational cannabis sales in Chicago over concerns that none of the state's pot businesses have black owners. The 20 member caucus introduced an ordinance in October that would prevent dispensaries from uh, doling out recreational weed until July 1st. Alderman Jason Irvin of Benwich Ward. Uh, Jason Irvin is the 28th ward. Nice. He's the Black Caucus chair. For 10 trivia points, oh, who is Jesus. his wife? Uh, 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 Kathy Irvin. No, Melissa Connors Irvin, oh, who is the, uh, okay. uh, the treasurer of the city of Chicago. That's correct. Thank you, Bob Mueller. Yeah. Jason Irvin, he's the Black Caucus chair, and in regards to this delay, said, quote, we are looking to support our black communities with funding, training, and outreach during the delay to prepare them for July 2020. We will continue to have conversations with our caucus and council members until we have the solutions our community needs. State officials, meanwhile, say it will take more time for the social equity provisions in the law to go into effect. Pritzker was pressed with these questions during the bill signing, but he was also not born yesterday. <laughs> he expertly ducked and dodged oh, questions about the Black Caucus's efforts yeah, and powered through with signing the legislation. I'm not a perfect person. <laughs> uh, it was really well done. Who was on the show yesterday that was ducking and dodging brilliantly? I can't remember who it was. So remember I asked oh, Ben not remembering things. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, no, it was like, no, that you, I had a question for you, which I still can't remember, which I'm sure you would have ducked and dodged. Uh, but there was somebody else who was ducking and dodging. It was a question that it was, oh, no, I was, 
I, I was referring to a, the hideout show on Tuesday uh, where the young fellow from the uh, the city's Department of Housing was ducking and dodging brilliantly for a young guy. He showed the mastery of that. All right, look. How do I boil this down, Dean? I don't know how else to say this. I'm just going to put it out there. Once again, I'm going to offend a whole bunch of other people. All right, I've already offended the Pete Buttigieg fan club. Uh, what was the second group I offended? I can't remember anymore. I've offended so many people. Uh, now I'm just going to uh, offend white people. Here's Take the it thing. easy, buddy. <laughs> it's just like white people. You know, I love you, but the way you've dealt with this reefer thing from the get-go has just been embarrassing. It's it's. It's wretched. Just think about it. D, when, when the great Mick Dumkey and I started writing uh, legalized reefer stories back 5,000 years ago in 2011 or whenever it was, like, all the, the white elected officials we talked to, they were like, well, you know, uh, you can't really comment about this. Uh, you know, uh, this is a very serious matter. Uh, you know, there's law enforcement issues and health matters. Meanwhile, they'd be smoking reefer on the weekends. You get what I'm saying? They pretend like they acted like this. It was this serious, uh, unknown, like mysterious thing, smoking marijuana, it, it, totally ignoring the fact that they have spent most of their adult life either smoking the stuff uh, or watching other people smoke it. Or maybe they're like me, they had smoked it and they're, now they're on the wagon from smoking, but they pretended as though they didn't understand it. Meanwhile, while they're smoking it freely, just walking down the street in some cases, black people are getting locked up for smoking it. But they look pretended like that wasn't going on as well, D. All right? And so now, boom, somehow overnight, I don't even know when it happened, I'm like a, a, a switch was flicked and suddenly the society decided, you know what, we're gonna legalize reefer. So overnight, the same people who are saying, oh, I don't know. This is such a mysterious thing. I'm really concerned about this. Marijuana? All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, let's legalize it. Let's, ref let's, let's, let's legalize and make it on January 1st. And by the way, now we're going to make gazillions off of it. And the black people who got arrested for it aren't going to make anything. And somehow or other, they don't see an inconsistency there or something wrong about that. You know what I'm saying, D? Miles Conflassen has entered the building. Miles Conflassen has entered the building. Ooh, and, ooh, and so, our city of Hallstatt. Uh, <laughs> so, I just, I know, look, the, the inconsistency of white people when it comes to marijuana is just a little too much for me to take. And it almost leads me to say, D, I never thought these words would come out of my Can we just go back to making it illegal? Because <laughs> the hypocrisy is just too much for me. To, I mean, it was hypocritical before. Were they, the same people who were smoking it pretended as though it, it was this mysterious thing that they didn't understand. Uh, and now it's even more hypocritical where some of the, like the same people who looked the other way while black people got locked up for doing something that they did are going to make zillions of dollars operating and black people aren't going to get anything. So I don't know, man. I can't win on the marijuana issue. I almost think we should go back to the days where it was illegal. Just don't I'm, lock anybody up. I'm right there with you. In fact, uh, I'd like to give a shout out to uh, my <laughs> personal marijuana dealer. Yo, weed man. As long as you're still selling it, I'm still buying it. No, man. I would... Yeah, I, I can understand it. Really, like, what about is that the guy who makes the cookies? No, that's, oh, that's back a, home. Oh, sorry. All right, and finally, I think a round of applause is uh, deserved here. Come on, Ben. Come on. Or, or no? Okay. <laughs> Wait, I don't know who we're applauding. Because the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago are on the same page. 
on Reefer. The Chicago City Council on Wednesday moved a step closer to kicking the corruption by banning oh, aldermen from acting as lobbyists and stop <laughs> and stopping other elected officials from lobbying them. Under the new rules proposed by Alderman Matt O'Shea, Ben of what ward? Come on, he's from the ward that the same ward Miles is from, the 19th ward on the southwest side of Chicago. And Alderman Michelle Smith? Michelle Smith is from a ward on the north side of Chicago called the 43rd. Good Lord, you're a dork. <laughs> Under the rules proposed by these two aldermen wouldn't be allowed to lobby the city council, the county, the state, or any other local government union, nor would any other elected officials in the state be able to lobby the city council or other units of city government. Ben, your thoughts. Are we as a unified state of Illinois taking the right steps here towards curbing the corruption? Yeah, I, well, I already addressed this a little bit about come back to it. I'm all over the map on this one. Uh, on one hand, you know, who am I to deny an alderman a right to make a living, right? Uh, on the other hand, I'm running out of hands. Uh, the, you know, that there is a conflict of interest. We got to clean it up a little bit. It is, but I got to tell you, alderman, all right, the, the, your credibility on this issue is about as bad as the credibility of white people on the issue of reefer. Because you looked the other way while Ed Burke was operating that property tax business for years and years, and people like me in obscure, relatively obscure columns in the lefty alternative newspaper would be chiding Ed Burke, and you and the powers that be kept on endorsing him and going to his fundraisers, giving him money and extolling his virtues and extolling his wife's virtues. You know, uh, your good friend Bruce Rauner. Oh, yeah. And that, Great friend. <laughs> and that bit you always play where he goes, oh, I love our teachers. And the next thing he says, what is, I love Ann Burke. So the same people, it's just like the, it's just the same thing as the reefer thing. It's like a light went on and all of a sudden everybody's opposed to an alderman uh, having a property tax business, even though they looked the other way for all those years that Ed Burke was running one and was the most powerful alderman in the city of Chicago, ran the budget process, oversaw every single TIF handout, uh, got endorsed by all the newspapers and was just heralded by everybody in the city as this is great public figure. And now all of a sudden, oh yeah. They see the light. So, you know, I'm a little skeptical, D, about these uh, sudden conversions of, uh, of our aldermen. But uh, I suppose, ultimately, I should put aside my skepticism and applaud them for doing the right thing. And did you say Bruce Rauner? Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Yes, that Bruce Rauner. <laughs> All right, so there you are in the latest of what's going on here in Chicago and or Illinois. We'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. I'm sure Ben will bring up Eddie Gate one more time before uh, the day's over. I, I Miles knows he's, he's under the gun. He's going to have to say something about it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's right. After this short little break, we'll be right back with In These Times Reiner and dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky Show. Miles, Camp, Lassen. Dude, did you bring the chicken sandwiches? Not today. Oh, God dang. I saw the sign. It says, the sandwich is back at Popeye's. <laughs> I saw that sign. One of these days. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters.
Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago land cremation options.com read the chicago reader to get up to speed on what's what in chicago culture food arts and entertainment weekly concert listings weekly event listings the environment travel i can continue but you get the point point. and for all of you chicago political junkies raw weekly columns on real city politics from maya dukmasova and our very own ben jarofsky the chicago reader free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com read it now and be a more informed chicagoan Ben, please stop talking about the Bulls. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky <laughs> Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Miles Conflatson in the studio from In These Times, and Miles is a huge Bulls fan, but uh, Dennis will not allow us to talk about the Bulls, even though they've won two in a row. They have, but also I was uh, last night at Wintrust Arena for uh, DePaul uh, men's basketball victory, 9-0, and undefeated. First I, I, time ranked, I think now they're going to be ranked. First time since the 2000s, best record since the 80s, so... Go Blue Demons. Yeah, I wow, you jumped on that bandwagon awfully fast. Good. <laughs> we God. need we need somebody to root for in Chicago. Uh, I, I know it's true. And I was I saw the highlights. I was at a bar and I saw the highlights. The guy who hit the shot to send it in overtime. That 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 shot was like yeah. from the parking lot. It was yeah. so far away. But anyway, yeah, go blue demons. All right, let's get down to business. Uh Dennis says we we're not allowed to talk sports, so let's move on to politics. Before we get to the national news, impeachment and uh uh, presidential updates, some interesting stuff going on there. Of course, with Buttigieg, John Kerry, Kamala Harris, Bernie Sanders, and uh, Hillary Clinton, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, your thoughts on Eddie Gate? I've spent two days talking about Eddie Johnson getting in trouble uh, and having and being fired unceremoniously on Monday by uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Your thoughts on on what went down? How do you uh, pronounce the name of that cafe? Is it Ceres Cafe or Ceres Cafe? I had never heard of this oh, yeah. place. Go to I Ben for <laughs> correct pronunciations. <laughs> or, I, you know, I'd never heard of it either. Yeah. I, so I guess I mean, we're not in the know, but no, they say four fingers deep, these cocktails. <laughs> <I> so. <laughs> They're the happiest people in the city of Chicago. Everybody, like every newspaper feels compelled to say, this is a bar where you get a lot of alcohol yeah. in a glass. Well, it's all these traders, I guess, that are going there. But then, you know, the superintendent of the police, police well, is at the so. bar drinking. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I had heard, I heard some of uh, uh, Maya on the show Tuesday talking about uh, her responses to this. I got to just say, I mean, this is... Uh, the more is coming out, right? So today there's information that he apparently had demoted this, the woman who he had been drinking with at the bar, right? Who had been a part of his personal security detail in November after, you know, he had gotten found in his car by the other officers. He had uh, reassigned her to a different duty. So that opens up a whole new series of ethical questions that I think do need to be um, investigated. But I got to say, I mean, in terms of how Mayor Lightfoot's opinion changed, she held this big celebration for him. <laughs> She was cheering him and, you yeah. know, for his retirement. And then all of a sudden, oh, he lied. I mean, it's like this guy, he, he said when he took this job, he had never personally witnessed police misconduct mm -hmm. in his whole career. You know, this over his th over 30 year career, yeah. uh, he had been a supervisor. Uh, he said there was no code of silence. 
So that is completely uh, debunked by the Laquan McDonald investigation, which showed there was this massive uh, code of silence that involved all these officers covering up for one another. Uh, but he he himself was also involved in the attempted cover-up of the Rakia Boyd murder back in 2012 by Officer Dante Servin. You know, he was front and center involved in that. And then, as Maya pointed out, there was this big article in The Intercept which pulled um, data from the Invisible Institute and I think the Citizens Police Data Project that showed that he had repeatedly approved police shootings and ignored allegations of excessive force mm-hmm. um, over as many years as a supervisor. So these, to me, are what should be fireable offenses for a police superintendent. And these existed long before there was any you know, issues of him drinking with a woman at a bar and passing out in his car. So I think the whole thing is just shows the mispriorities of how we have accountability for our public officials. All right. Uh, that's very well put. Before we move uh, away from this topic, which I, again, I, I could talk about all day, I'm going to ask you a tough question. I don't want to see any ducking and dodging. This may have been the question I was going to ask you yesterday. Now it suddenly just popped into my head uh, with Miles. Let's hear Miles' time. All right. Huh? So here we go. Let's see if I can remember it. All right, so <laughs> no, no, that music. Put me on the spot. Yeah, but the music is dry. I'm on the spot. I got to remember the question. All right, so follow me on what I'm about to ask. Lori Lightfoot made this announcement on Monday, breathlessly. Yeah. News, breaking news. She had just called him into the office, and just said, "You're fired." All right, and it was as though she had just discovered just discovered, Miles, that Eddie Johnson's official statement did not correspond with the evidence about what he'd been up to that night, okay? We still don't know what's on the tape or all that other thing, but apparently what Eddie Johnson said went down that night is contradicted by what was on the tape, all right? And with the evidence that they yep. gathered. So in your humble opinion, do you think that Lori Lightfoot in fact learned about that that day or the day before right prompting the press uh that announcement or do you think that she knew about it days maybe even weeks before but just held that information in her hand held that card in her hand if you will miles complacent until it was time to play it well, I have, I have no inside information into when she saw this tape, but I believe that, you know, <laughs> she saw it when, you know, we saw it the same way I believe that Rahm Emanuel saw the Laquan McDonald tape, you know, <laughs> when he saw it versus right before the election in 2015. I mean, this is a this is a constant case of when we are allowed to access this information as the public and as if the our political leadership is just as, you know, in the dark as we are. I don't, you know, I don't buy that for yeah, a second. Yeah, so you don't buy it for a second. And I don't think, I, honestly, I don't, I mean, this does help. I mean, there's many ways to view this, right? I mean, for one thing, there had been a vote of no confidence in Eddie Johnson because he had, you know, partially because he had refused to attend the Trump thing. So he's kind of unpopular amongst the rank and file of the cops. So Lori gets on their side by firing him, but she also kind of appeases some police act, you know, accountability activists because this guy has been under fire from them for a long time, makes her look like she's tough on things. But 
ultimately, I mean, you just bring in somebody from L.A. that has a whole record of, uh, you know, police accountability issues there as well. So I don't think that that really solves any of the issues that are actually plaguing the Chicago Police Department that were outside uh, uh, outlined so brutally in that 2017 Department of Justice report on the uh, abuses within the the agency. Well, I uh, we're going to move on from this one. By the way, Nick Spazzato, he seems like you're always in the studio when he's a guest. Uh, He'll be. He'll be coming in at 2.30 later in the day. I'm going to ask him these questions. Also, one thing I'll just point out, Eddie was still getting paid as of Tuesday. They, you know, this came out. Supposedly now he's like officially retired, but she had all this pomp and circumstance on Monday saying he's fired, he's out. <laughs> Tuesday he's still getting paid. So I don't know what that even You know, he was already going to retire at the end of the month. All this stuff is, you know, the timeline just doesn't really add up. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. I'm very skeptical. I, I, I confessed this at the hideout the other night. I just having spent so much time following Chicago politics, it's really easy to become cynical and skeptical about absolutely anything. But I will say this, uh, this is Kevin Graham uh, was on uh, the Franz Spielman show yesterday, taping it, Kevin Graham, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. And I agree with him uh, what on this particular point, uh, maybe the only, one of the few things that Kevin Graham and I agree on, but I agree with him at this point, uh, even a police chief has due process rights and uh, I do not believe that he was fairly treated. I don't believe he was given an opportunity to p- state his side of the story. Uh, and uh, uh, on, on this particular matter, that's just well, my maybe part. he'll pull a Gary McCarthy and uh, run against her. <laughs> well, that worked really well for Big Mac. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's move on uh, to impeachment. And um, oh my God, so much on my mind. We talked a little bit about this yesterday with Monroe Anderson and Atiba Buchanan. Uh, what's your general takeaway from the opening round yesterday where they, they brought out the uh, constitutional scholars? I think it just reaffirmed what we had you know, already kind of been seeing, which is that people, uh, independent observers, see this for what it is, which is clearly uh, you know, abuse of power on the part of the president and part of a larger scheme to uh, get dirt on the political opponents through withholding aid. I don't think that was really, you know, Turley had somewhat of a different take, but he was, you know, kind of, that was like the one Republican uh, that was put up there. The more important thing is, I think, is what happened today is that uh, Nancy Pelosi said uh, she won't be, she directed the heads of the House uh, committees to write up the articles of impeachment for the president. And this is going to be a pretty monumental uh, new stage of the process where there's actually going to be formal uh, articles of impeachment placed against the president. Um, where it's unclear right now, I think how broad or how narrow those articles are going to be. Uh, most likely, I think they're going to include obstruction and bribery, but probably not treason, as many people have uh, pushed for. Um, I think the abuse of power and the bribery are going to have mostly to do with the bullying of Ukraine, as we saw that you know involves his phone call where he said, "I need a favor, though." Um, and the obstruction is probably going to be about directing witnesses not to testify. I mean, that's been a big part of this of why everything's been so obfuscated is that we have not been able to hear from the very people that were involved in this, whether it's Giuliani or McGahn or Bolton or any of these folks, because Trump is saying, don't show up, you know, Mm -hmm. don't go to these, um, hearings. And that is uh, clearly evading, uh, transparency. So, um, this is going to be a big moment for the Democrats of how are they going to put forward their case? You know, they've had these hearings and everything, but now that it has to be formalized. And personally, I think this is a great opportunity to go, go all out, you know, and say, look, this president is committed crimes across the board and he needs to be held to account for it because otherwise, you know, the Republicans are ready to go on. They've already are doing this huge uh, defense of the president where they're saying this 
is a bunch of noise, is a witch hunt, you know, the Ukraine thing doesn't really matter. Well, there's so many other areas that the president has committed abuses of power. And the primary one, I think, is that breaking the emoluments clause through profiting off of his presidency. Mm -hmm. And we see this time and time again. He also, though, you know, there's so many other obstruction of justice examples from the, the Mueller report, and they could push forward uh, some of those. The problem with that is that pretty much all of the evidence is in the 488 page uh, Mueller report, which most people have not read. I know you have read it, but <laughs> very few people have. Um, there and, it is. <laughs> yeah. And so, so there's, you know, it's all contained within the report rather than coming from public testimony or coming from evidence. So that makes it a little bit harder. And that's because uh, Trump blocked all of, you know, the House from investigating any of that. Uh, when it came to Nixon, however, we look back at previous cases of impeachment. I mean, obviously Nixon resigned before he was impeached, but in those articles, they were very broad and they included um, everything from, you know, intimidating witnesses to trying to bribe the um, and, and pardon the actual burglars and evading the Watergate uh, investigation. So I think that this is an opportunity to go even farther and, and point towards a whole string of abuses that this president has taken, whether it's, you know, pardoning Joe Arpaio, who was the sheriff in Arizona, mm -hmm. we remember, who had been convicted of breaking the Constitution because he refused to stop racially discriminating. He was literally putting people in cages. He had chain gangs of, uh, you know, poor Hispanic people uh, out in Arizona. Trump loves him, so he pardoned him. That, you know, he had broken the Constitution. There's also the example of the Muslim ban, which is clearly, uh, you know, discriminates based on nationality and religion, uh, which goes against the Constitution. And that was Trump's, one of Trump's keystone policies. So I think there's all these other areas that the Democrats could broaden this impeachment, uh, the articles of impeachment, if they go for it. I'm worried that it will be incredibly narrow and the public will feel like they are not, you know, represented by the actual case against the president. Well, I uh, found myself when I listened. Uh, I didn't get an opportunity to listen because the, the 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 professors were testifying while I was on the air. But I went back and read what they said, and I'm, I I believe it or not, agreed with uh, the professor Turley, who uh, he he claims he's not a Republican; he's an independent voter, and he's claims he didn't vote for uh, Donald John yeah. Trump, which makes him even better of a witness for the Republicans because it makes it seem... But he's the one they put up. So he's the one they put up. So he's the Republican uh, witness. Uh, he said his position is that there's not an, enough evidence uh, to mount a uh, substantive uh, trial against the president and a meaningful trial. Uh, and so what they should do is gather more evidence, uh, take more time to gather the evidence and then bring their case. Um, of course, as you were pointing out, gathering that uh, evidence means interrogating, questioning uh, Trump's aides and uh, various uh appointees like Bolton and, uh, and Giuliani, et cetera, and so forth. And Trump has ordered them not to appear, okay? So uh, that is a catch-22 if you follow Turley's uh, advice. And so my thing, this is, I call, I give credit to David Ferris, the, the Roosevelt University political science professor. Okay, let's go to court. Let's drag this thing out. I want, for two reasons, one, getting at the truth, and two, political reasons, and I'm open about it, uh, Miles, I want this thing dragged out. I want this, I don't even care if they get to an impeachment vote by November 2020. I want this issue on the front pages of the newspaper from now until November. I want Donald Trump making the argument that his, that uh, uh, John Bolton is prohibited by law 
from testifying, from honoring a, a congressional subpoena. I want him to make that argument. I want him to have to make that argument of the public yeah. sphere. And then I want to watch those two Supreme Court flunkies that Donald Trump put on the, the bench, Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, to see how they're going to vote on. I want to do that from the standpoint of the truth and the standpoint of uh, politics, because I think ultimately it's bad politics. It's really hard to pretend as though this is like a legit system when you have Donald Trump ordering people not to testify. So I'm whole, I'm with Turley on the delay. What's your thoughts on that? One, to go back to an earlier point I made, I mean, the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which is a, a big time government watchdog, they have said that it, the, the number of Trump's personal conflicts of interest that uh, he's had since he's been in president now are over 2,300. This is, you know, a few months ago, it was like 1,500 or something. So these are rapidly increasing. These are all of his personal conflicts of interest, whether it's having Mike Pence stay in his Trump property in Ireland that's three hours away from the event space in order to, you know, uh, personally profit his business. There's so many examples of this president end up subverting the law and taking advantage of his uh, place in office that uh, I think there's plenty of evidence to uh convict the president. It won't happen because the Senate is run by the Republicans and Mitch McConnell and Mitch McConnell today called this performance art for coastal elites. You know, this is the, <laughs> this is how he's, he said that. Yeah, he did. And so this That's is pretty good. Exactly. It is good. And this is, this is what I worry about is that, you know, the, the narrative that they're doing, where's, where's Rudy Giuliani today? He's in Ukraine yeah. and he's meeting with, and this is, you know, he's taking photos of it. He's meeting with one of the top people that's trying to um, uh, prosecute Hunter Biden for corruption. They're owning it. They're, it. Trump's out on, you know, saying, I want China to dig up dirt on the Bidens. They're not trying to say that this is there's anything wrong with anything the president is doing. And they're going to stand by that until the end because they don't believe that this is really hurting him because they think that people that really care about this are already against the president. And people that don't are the same people that voted for him and saw it as a witch hunt after him that saw, you know, the same thing is going on with these. You know, if you, you probably saw this Joe Biden ad from yesterday where he's talking about how. Uh, Trump is a national embarrassment because the world leaders at NATO are laughing at him and making fun of him. Sure, that's true, but that's why people voted for him because they were like, you know, these these elites in office are laughing at him just like they're laughing at us and we don't want to be laughed at anymore. I don't think that treating this as just, you know, a case of Trump, you know, doing some dealings in Ukraine is going to be super politically advantageous for the Democrats. I think showing that Donald Trump uh, betrayed all of his promise to working people is going to be a much more effective message for Democrats. In well, I think they, I, 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 I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Yeah. I think you do both. And, uh, and I, I got to tell you, uh, Dennis, I think, I don't know if you came in for this was running through the news today and there's movements in the Chicago city council, uh, to end uh, conflicts of interest by pro prohibiting, Alderman from having jobs that they outside jobs that benefit they benefit from through their uh, service as an alderman. Well, the same argument can be made for Donald Trump, and the same forces who are looking the other way and hiding under the table and ducking and dodging on the issue of Donald Trump's uh, wrongdoings are the ones screaming the loudest about how some flunky alderman in the Chicago City Council uh, cannot has to give up his property tax business because it's a conflict of interest. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying, are all you good government people out there? This is the issue. We'll put it right in your face. We're going to keep it there for a freaking year so that well, a year from now, you're going to have to decide, are you going to vote for the guy? With It'd be the equivalent of voting for Eddie Burke. Yeah. All right, put Ed Burke's face on Donald Trump's neck. 
You know what I'm saying? And let's see if the Chicago Tribune can still endorse Donald Trump. That's my point. It's like, let's get that issue out there in the public for everyone to see. My, what I would just say is that what Donald Trump has continued to do, I do agree that it is clearly distracting him, and that is good in a lot of ways. So he's not, you know blustering against Kim Jong-un or some, you know, who knows what he could be spending his time doing and said he's fretting over um, uh, impeachment concerns. However, there, you know, the agenda is still moving forward. We just saw yesterday there, the Trump administration's uh, 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 Department of Labor has pushed forward rules to um, restrict tipped workers from getting uh, all of the, the money that they're due. This could strip over $700 million from tipped workers. We also saw them finalize a rule to um, uh, put new work requirements for food stamp recipients that will uh, take away food stamps from over 750,000 people, including 100,000 right here in Illinois. Now, this is happening at the same time that we're pushing forward with implementing the 2017 tax cut bill, which was $1.9 trillion added to the deficit, completely unpaid for, that um, you know monumentally lavishes benefits on the wealthy and corporations. This is class warfare we're seeing, and they're carrying it out in front of our faces. And we need to, you know, I think Democrats need to stand up and, you know, progress. Anybody who cares about having a more equal and just society needs to call that out and not just focus on, you know, what's popular in the news right now, which is impeachment. Because I got to say, I mean, you look at the polls in Iowa, 6% of voters in Iowa say that impeachment is their primary concern, you know, that that's their number one issue. Their number one issue is health care. And that's, you know, something that needs to be on the front of everybody's mind and needs to be talked about because Trump's still trying to take away your health care. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with you uh, on that point. Uh, And uh, so let's move away from impeachment uh, for the moment, because I know we're going to having a variation of this conversation for a long time to come. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about uh, the Democratic uh, race for uh, pr- uh, for president. And Miles, as more and more times come co- goes past, it is so clear to me. I got to give you and Mike a credit for this. You guys put this in my head months ago, but it's true. There, there is. It's a fine. It's so obvious when I say this, uh, but. It really has to be said. There's just this fundamental disagreement among Democrats over these uh, pocketbook issues, these economic issues, and like the drive. It's it's really symbolized best by the drive uh, for Medicare for all, and the opposition that the Bidens and the Buttigieg's and poor Kamala Harris didn't know which way to go on that one. Uh, as as opposed to the Bernies and uh, uh, and Elizabeth Warren, there's such a divide there, and I don't know how that's going to play out as we go forth because that's a real. It used to be, I used to think, oh, they're just saying that they just say they're against Medicare for all because they're worried about electability. Now I come to realize this is where you and Michael were right. No, they just. just Forget elective. That's just yeah. a cloak, the fig yeah. leaf. They are against this stuff. Yeah. How is this going to get reconciled? For the well, Democrats? I think that Medicare for All is an incredibly uh, important kind of touchstone for to a prism through which to view this entire primary race because um, 
Kamala Harris, as you said, she initially was all in. She, you know, before she even had, you know, made a big splash with her campaign, she made a big deal about saying, I'm uh, I'm supporting Bernie's bill. I'm going to come out. And this was before the bill was even finalized. This was before she had even told her staff, apparently, she came out because she saw the progressive lane as being the one to, to take in this primary. Um, so did Kirsten Gillibrand, who, you know, helped to to write the bill. So did Elizabeth Warren. So did Cory Booker. You know, all these people were saying, you know, this is the direction to, to go in in 2020. We're going to get on board with Medicare for all. As, as things have played out, you've seen equivocation after equivocation. And the result of that, I think, is that people start to look like they're in the, you know, muddledy muck. They don't really know which side they stand on. When you have Kamala Harris coming out with a Medicare for all plan, she calls Medicare for all, that wouldn't actually implement the program for 10 years, you know, after even her second term would be up even if you know she had gotten two terms that doesn't really sound like what people want when they say they're interested in you know universal health care and health care as a human right um, we saw something similar with Elizabeth Warren coming out with this three-year plan where she wants a public option uh, immediately which is basically the Biden plan you know we'll put will implement a public option. And then in the third year of the presidency, after the midterms, which, you know, conceivably in that view of the future, the Democrats will have gains, will be in a better position, um, then they would push forward a real Medicare for all plan. That still is very, and she says she's going to do it through this employer head tax, which is, you know, has been viewed as a regressive tax. Uh, Bernie Sanders is the one person who has consistently said, this is my bill. This is what I'm running on. It's four years. You know, the first year we go down to 55, then 45, then 35, then everybody. And, you know, this is Medicare for all. This is everybody is guaranteed. We're going to get rid of private insurance. You're going to be able to, you know, go to whatever doctor you want. You're going to have everything covered. No copays, no deductibles. You're going to be paying significantly less in healthcare costs. And we're going to have guaranteed health care in America within my first term as president. That's, he's the only one saying that right now. And you saw all these other candidates kind of uh, play around the edges and then move away from it. And Joe Biden, to his credit, has never gotten on board with that. You know, he's been very clear that he has a different vision of health care, which is he does not believe in universal health care. When you, you say know. to his credit, you, you mean that he, at least he's open about what exactly. he stands. Exactly. And I think that that's, you know, probably better for him overall because he will be able to shore up, you know, these. Uh, the people that are don't want to see a single payer health care plan in America, they don't want to see universal health care. They know they have a candidate in Joe Biden. You know, Buttigieg, he had uh, so previously supported single payer. He had written about it. He wrote an essay in college. I mean, this is in college, of course, but he wrote an essay in college about how Bernie Sanders was his personal hero, partially because he spent his life fighting for single payer health care. So, you know, to now be Medicare for, for everyone who wants it, it's like, you know, it just seems like he's not really being true to, uh, you know, himself. If he if he had been, he would have been out at the beginning saying, I don't believe in universal health care. But he has not been. All these candidates are kind of equivocating. And so I think that that's going to really set uh, the the candidates apart. And you, that's why you're starting to see the field really narrow down to, to Biden, Bernie and uh, Warren and Buttigieg in some polls, although a new poll today in the Los Angeles Times uh, from the Los Angeles Times says Bernie Sanders is the first place in California. And then, of course, California has the most delegates of any state, every primary in the country. If Bernie Sanders was to win that, um, that would be a huge boon to his candidacy. And behind him is Warren and then it's Biden. So I think you're starting in to California. see in California. So I think you're starting to see that shape up. <laughs> that said, it was a little aside, the Los Angeles. Angeles Times said 
their headline was Warren and Biden drop in California <laughs> poll. Doesn't mention Bernie Sanders being in first place at all. No, that 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 you we we've discussed that in the past. The bias against Bernie in the mainstream media. Listen, I voted for Bernie in 2016. Um, he's I'm leaning toward him right now. Uh, and I'm, I've admitted this to you in the past, I just, but I'm going to make the confession again. I do not share uh, my the left's uh, antipathy toward Joe Biden. I don't know what's the matter with me, Miles, but there's a part, I, there's something about Joe Biden that I like. And it's I, the no malarkey. It's the no malarkey. <laughs> he just like... I was talking to Dennis about this. I, I was, we were in the car driving. We were thinking about, oh, no, I know what it was. When I was uh, on vacation, it was, I was with a millennial. Uh, hey, Ian, what's going on? And we were up late at night, and we were listening to Joe Biden's, the bit Joe Biden did. Uh, we got to play this, man. It's hilarious. I, Dennis, t- oh, man, that was already a month ago. But just to listen to it again, it was from the, one of the debates, and he's, it was a que- I don't even remember what the question was, but he went on this tangent about reading to your kids at night and and, and playing the record player. Only you know, I don't know what he was saying. Uh, it's hilarious when you listen to it. So we're up like at one. In, I have no life, Miles. It's one in the morning. <laughs> Ian and I are listening to this and laughing. But there's a part of me that's like I think I understand what he was saying, and I can understand the inability to express exactly what you want to say. I talk so much in the show many times, I forget where I am in the middle of a sentence. I don't know where I started. And I, like, I'm just trying to bail out, you know? And so I can like really uh, empathize with Joe Biden at that moment. And whereas Pete Buttigieg, he's like, Dudley do right, you know. It's like oh, the set. And I know I shouldn't punish a guy because because he's good, you know, and he's really good at talking. And, but there's just something about Joe Biden that I like. Yeah. Uh, all right. So now, this idea is a bunch of malarkey. Yeah. There you <laughs> go, Joe Biden. So malarkey. please respond to that as you know, as a Bernie guy. Well, for, for, I mean, I think that personally viewing uh, Joe Biden as a you know individual, you could have all kinds of give him all kinds of credit for you know various elements of his career. You know, Violence Against Women Act. He's had you know some. Uh, high moments, but overall, it's not how he says the things that I have take take issue with. It's what he's saying and what he's proposing and his vision for, um, you know, how we're going to deal with the crises facing uh, this country, whether it's climate change, whether it's health care, whether it's immigration, all of his policies fall so far shorter of the ambition and the boldness that are represented in the plans put forward by Bernie Sanders and even Elizabeth Warren. And they're run so counter to what uh, the scientists say we need in terms of uh, mobilizing our economy to confront the global threat of climate change and to provide health care to the 30 million people who don't have it and to close the gap for the 50 million underinsured. I mean, this is not... It's, it, my issue is not just that he stumbles over his words and he talks about corn pop and what have you. I mean, that's <laughs> I, I find that troubling. And I think yeah. that that would be very hard for him in a debate with President Trump, you know, to be uh, up against Trump calling him God knows what names and to then, you know, be president. But that's not my major issue with Joe Biden. It's that he's, you know, he spent the uh, 80s under Reagan calling for slashing federal funding, you know, pushing forward balanced budget amendments, trying to cut Medicare, trying to cut Social Security. You know, he did the same thing as Obama's Obama's vice president when he was trying to set this grand budget deal 
uh, grand bargain deal with uh, you know Paul Ryan. This is not uh, somebody who is of the left or represents real progressive values. I don't think, and he's open about that, and he's that open. I do you know respect about him in a way. But it, 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 whereas Buttigieg, geez, if you watched <laughs> him the other day when he's defending because he went on this attack against free college, and he said college isn't for everybody. This is the the gall of this guy who went to private school his whole life. You know, his Rhodes Scholar. Uh, and you, you know, the, all these surveys say 80% of the people that don't go to college say they can't, they don't go because of financial insecurity. That's why college isn't for everybody because it's not available to people. Yeah. It's not because they're like not made for it. It's just so sickening to hear that stuff. From, no, from I, Pete I, Buttigieg. yeah. And you, you, you make a lot of compelling points about, uh, Joe Biden. I have to, con- must concede that. Uh, and I know this is something we'll be talking about for months because yeah. we are kicking that it's com- going in my humble opinion, it will come down to. Uh, Bernie and or uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren versus Joe Biden, my humble opinion, I believe Pete Buttigieg will fade. I think just a lot of Democrats, when they starts talking about that, no, you know, being against college for all, uh, just the notion that you, like, you should at least have community colleges for all. That's, you know what I'm saying? Just the normal well, the trade other thing, schools for all. Exactly. I mean, the other thing is he said is, well, some people want to go to trade schools. Well, Buttigieg has a plan that doesn't include trade schools, whereas Bernie's you know, college for all plan does include trade schools. Yeah. So what are you saying? It's so hypocritical. And I do I do think people are going to start to see that. The thing is that he's got a million media profiles. There's this big uh, profile in Politico of his uh, handler, this, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what forget her name, but um, she's uh, from New York and she's kind of this smooth New York operative and she's been getting him all these you know glossy profiles and everything and that goes so far but you know he's just dropping he's getting all this money from hedge funds he's dropping it all in iowa he's got you know zero support amongst black voters they are the driving heart of the democratic party it's very hard to imagine them coming home to pete Buttigieg. all right that's Miles conflason ed maher's on deck we're going to bring him on miles thank you so much uh handling every single question i throw at you (laughs) And uh, no, the, I was going to say, but we're watching the debate to see how they, if they go after Buttigieg, but that debate's not for another week or so. So uh, we'll hold off on that one. All right, Miles, thank you very much for these times. Ed Maher on deck. We'll bring him on when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. 
The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan.